I hope you've all had a fantastic Christmas. Uh, ate lots of food, shared lots of presents, saw family or friends, uh, and of course the festive feelings are still in the air. There's lights still up around houses, and we're still hearing Christmas carols everywhere. But I hope you took some time out to remember and celebrate the birth of our Saviour Jesus. Uh, if you were here at DPC, you'd remember Wayne sharing about, um, from Philippians about God as an undercover boss who came to earth to rescue us from sin. But if you weren't here, well then I hope you too took some time out to thank God for sending his son. And then how did you go living that out for the rest of the day? When you got stressed about visitors coming, when you had to travel for hours at a time, when your family started to get on your nerves, when you didn't get the present that you wanted or someone else got something you did want. Well, maybe remembering Jesus' example helped you to still be loving when something didn't go how you wanted. Because there's no point just having it in our heads If Jesus is our boss, well then, it must change our lives. Which is what Paul really wants to press home in this part of his letter. The importance of responding to the gospel with obedience. If we have been saved by Christ, well then we need to put that salvation into practice. Have a look down at verse 12 with me. Verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends... As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now verse 12 began with a therefore, uh, which means whenever you see a therefore, you've got to look back, see what's come in the chapter, what Paul's already been talking about. And that's what we saw on Christmas Day. We saw the incredible thing that Jesus has done by coming to earth in the appearance of a man. And then he humbled himself, even to the point of death on a cross. In verse 5, Paul says we're to have an attitude, the same attitude as Christ Jesus. See, Paul showed us this attitude of Jesus, the best example. And so now he encourages the Philippians to have the same attitude. Because if the Philippians, or any of us, are going to put our salvation into practice, well then it needs to start with our attitude. So first we need to have an attitude of obedience, following the word of God and living how he wants us to, all in response to him saving us. We need to have an attitude of humility, just like Christ. Which is what Paul means when he says to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We ought to treat God with such honour that all our inward emotions and thoughts are overtaken by him. That all our outward actions are affected by him. That we're overcome with awe and respect towards him. For he reigns over the world. And he created the entire universe just by speaking And thirdly, we need to have an attitude of trust, knowing that God is at work in you. Verse 13, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. By his Holy Spirit, God will change you to will and to act in line with his good purpose. 
His purposes leading to the day when every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it's with this kind of attitude that they are to continue to work out their salvation, which is just Paul's way of saying, put it into practice. Live in response to how you've been saved. See, having the right attitude will help you to put your salvation into practice. Think of uh, what it's like when you're part of a sporting club and maybe you're at a, a weekly training session and your coach comes to you and gives you some advice or instructions on how to improve. Now, if you had the wrong attitude, well, you're probably not going to really pay attention and you wouldn't put into practice the things he says. But with the right attitude, well, then you'll be teachable, you'll learn heaps, and then, of course, all the stuff that you learn, you're going to go and put into practice so that you can improve. For the Philippians to put their salvation into practice, they need to have the right attitude. See, Paul is about to give them some instructions on how to actually do this. But first, he had to stop to remind them what attitude to have. Otherwise, instructions or advice just kind of sound like rules or laws. But with the right attitude, well, then obedience makes sense. And it's a natural response to Jesus saving them. And so with the trusting, humble, obedient attitude, well, now he can go on to give them the how-to of putting it into practice. And so Paul gives them two ways in which they can do that, put their salvation into practice. Two practical examples. The first is not complaining or arguing. And the second is holding on to the gospel. But let's look at the first one. Have a look down with me at verse 14. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Paul's first practical tip for obeying God is for us to do everything without complaining or arguing, not grumbling or gossiping. And this is not a rule just for, for the sake of having a rule. No, no, it's all in response to our salvation. And, verse 15, so that we might become blameless and pure. It's the standard we're aiming for. It's more than not doing wrong. It's not even getting in a position where we might be blamed for doing wrong. So it's not just, although it is too, not just holding back that one nasty comment from your boss. It's never being involved in or being in, in, in any kind of conversation that's negative about your boss or being seen to be involved. And this is the purpose for Paul's instruction in verse 14, that we would be noticeably different from the world around us. You see, we're living in a world that's overrun by sin. Paul said his generation was crooked and depraved, and I think they're fair words to use to describe our own generation. You might use words like wicked or corrupt, but same idea. You see, everywhere you look, the world's shouting for us to indulge in our sinful desires. Ad campaigns encourage our greed and materialism. TV shows and movies teach us to do what pleases ourselves. 
You go to Sydney Airport and there's hotel billboards that say, life is short, have an affair. The pollution of sin is everywhere in the world that we're part of. And so as we live in this world, we need to stand out as different. And to use Paul's image from verse 15, we need to live such different lives that we shine like stars in the universe. Shining like stars at night time. See, during the day, all the stars don't just disappear. They're still there, but they're overpowered by the intensity of the light coming from the sun. And so their light just kind of blends in to the light of the sun. But against the dark backdrop of the night sky, they are visible and they shine for all to see. Against the dark backdrop of this fallen world, we can shine like stars. If we live lives that are blameless and pure, we'll be light to those around us. But if we complain and argue in what we do, well, then we're just going to blend into the world and look like everyone else. So how are you going with this? Do your friends and workmates and teammates know that you're a Christian? Do you join in with the complaining or arguing about trivial matters at work? Are you noticeably different? Or do you blend in to everyone else? See, Paul says to do everything without complaining or arguing so that you're a light to the world, which is a great way of putting your salvation into practice. The second example that Paul gives of how to live in response to our salvation is is by holding on to the gospel. Look at verse 16. You shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour for nothing. Now some of you might have a little footnote at the start of verse 16 that can be translated, hold out the word of life or hold on to the word of life. Now the first one sounds nicer, but the second one, hold on to the word of life, actually makes more sense as you look at it in context. Because the word means to keep what you have or to pay close attention to what you have. Now, what is it they have? Well, they have the word of life, God's word. And so they'll keep shining like stars if they hold on to the word of life. If they keep living by the truth, well, then they will stand out. And for Paul, this is something that's really important and exciting. See, if they do hold on to the gospel, well, then Paul says he'll be able to boast when Jesus comes back because they persevered. He will rejoice because his labour was not a waste of time. And we certainly, we want to be people who hold on to the gospel until Jesus comes back. And the the Philippians were seemingly doing a good job of all this. Uh, They were shining like stars and holding on to the gospel. And so Paul says they should join in his rejoicing. Have a look at verse 17. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. See, Paul's in jail, he's facing death, and it's all for sharing the gospel with churches like the Philippians. But still, 
he's able to rejoice. Why? Because of their faith in Jesus. As long as they have their trust in Jesus and are living that out, he can rejoice, whether he's in jail or not. The Philippians are a great encouragement to Paul, and so he rejoices. He wants the Philippians to be rejoicing with him. They should be encouraged by the faith of each other and those around them. And you know, we can share in this rejoicing too. Like when you see someone in your church family uh, endure some, some sort of hardship, but they come out the other side still trusting God. Or you hear of a friend who maybe you went to high school with that is going to become a missionary. Or when you hear another Christian brother or sister share something they've been learning from the Bible. It's really encouraging to hear. For the Christian walk can be hard sometimes. And so when we see or hear of people standing firm in the gospel, it's worth rejoicing about. Paul wants us to rejoice about people holding on to the gospel. And so there you go. Paul's two examples of how to work out your salvation. To not argue or complain so you're light to the world. And to hold firm to the gospel so others can rejoice. But Paul really wants them to see how important it is to put their salvation into practice. That he goes on to give them, tell them about two men who really are humble servants of God. And so that then the Philippians will know exactly what it looks like. So first of all, Timothy, verse 19. I hope in the Lord to send I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served me with, served with me in the work of the gospel. Now, at the time of writing this, it seems that Timothy is with Paul, not in jail, but uh, looking after him, perhaps as his messenger or scribe. Paul wants to send Timothy to the Philippians to get news of how they're going so that he can rejoice about them. But you can tell how Timothy is a great example of living out his faith. He takes genuine interest in their well-being, unlike everyone else. He looks out for the interests of Christ Jesus, unlike everyone else. He served Paul in the work of the gospel like a faithful son. Now that is trusting, humble obedience to God. He would have surely been a real light to the world. Now, Epaphroditus is Paul's next model of putting salvation into practice. So jump down to verse 25. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is, dis- and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Now, Epaphroditus had come to Paul's aid from the Philippians, an expression of their partnership together and the Philippians' care for Paul. But while bringing gifts to Paul, Epaphroditus almost died, and he would have had it not been for the mercy of God who spared him. But look at the way Paul describes him. 
a brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier. Now this guy is clearly loved and clearly committed to living in response to God saving him, whatever came his way. Which is why Paul can say in verse 29, look at verse 29 with me, Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honour men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Epaphroditus risked his life for serving Christ, a guy marked by holding on to the gospel and one worth rejoicing about. There's no doubt that Epaphroditus and Timothy were great models of being light to the world and an encouragement to others. And look, I think it would be worthwhile considering if there's someone in your life who you can look to as a good model for Christian living. Or perhaps you need to consider who's looking up to you as an example. See, Paul is trying to help us see in all of this what it means to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, how we're to put our salvation into practice. He's given us two practical ways to do that and two examples of men who did that. Which leads us to finish by examining ourselves and asking a few questions. You ready? First question, are you saved yet? Before you can live in response to being saved... Well, you need to put your trust in Jesus. He's come and he's taken away the punishment we deserve for rejecting God. He saved us from sin and then he was raised from the dead to be Lord of all and he's coming back one day to judge the living and the dead. And So the first question you've got to ask yourself is, have you put your trust in Jesus to rule over your life? If you have put your trust in Jesus, well then secondly, Are you living differently to the people around you? Is it just head knowledge or does it really change the way you live each day? Are you blending in or standing out? Now for those of you who are already putting your salvation into practice in lots of ways, keep it up. Good job. But maybe there are some areas of your life where you are blending into the rest of the world. Perhaps you can think about the things that you complain about most and seek to change it. Perhaps you could work out what will help you hold on to the gospel for the rest of your life, no matter what happens. With a new year upon us, what better way to start than to give your life to Jesus and to live in trusting, humble obedience towards him? Why don't I pray that we would? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you and praise you for your son Jesus who came to earth to die and forgive us from our sins. And Lord, he was a great example of trusting humble obedience towards you. Lord, we'd ask that we would have the same attitude And Lord, that this knowledge wouldn't just be head knowledge, but that we would put it into practice. That we would live out our salvation each and every day. That we would live for you, that we would be light to the world around us, that we'd be an encouragement to others. 
Lord, we'd ask that we'd be putting our salvation into practice. And as the new year comes, please, we'd ask that you would be at work in us, helping us to do this. And we want to ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.